You know, when the world is shaken, we reach for something that cannot be shaken, and that is the Word of God. That's why this year we are studying our way through the Bible, one book each Sunday. This summer we have been in the letters of the New Testament. The majority of the New Testament were written not as books, but as letters. They're very short. And this morning we move from the local letters to the personal letters. There are four of them written to three individuals. These three individuals, Timothy, Titus, and Philemon. And it's interesting, I planned like nine months ago to be here this morning in First Timothy. We had no idea that Dale and Lindsay would be uh, ordained into ministry today and that Fred and Joanna and Stephen and Emily would be going out to ministry and ministry training. But this book is written for you guys. And since I don't get to preach your ordination service, I thought, what a perfect opportunity to let you have it. To, to load your arsenal with all this good stuff. So, yes, good. Give them a pen. Give them something to write with. Turn with me, please, in your Bibles to 1 Timothy. And you can follow in your outline. By the way, we have these for every book of the Bible that we've looked at. We're up to the 28th book in the Bible that we've studied so far. You can get the entire series in our lobby when we're done if you would like to catch up and continue on with us from this point. It's a letter written by a pastor to a pastor. All the other letters were written to churches. Now we come to three letters written to pastors. And Paul is the example. He's the patriarch. He's the role model. And many times in this letter and the next one we're going to come to, 2 Timothy, Paul says, Timothy, my son. And it's amazing what a relational, mentoring thing Jesus started and is continued in Paul. Our God loves fathering. And He loves relationships. It's interesting how much mentoring is going on these days. A lot of CEOs have mentors, coaches, business coaching. Those coming up in school, it's all getting an internship during the summer. Everybody's got an internship. And we never used to hear about internships. Now everybody's doing an internship because you learn best in that real life environment. That's what Paul is building on here as he's writing to Timothy in this relationship that he has with him. Chapter one is basically telling Timothy, if you're going to do anything, teach the word. Be a man of the Word. Be a woman of the Word. Give them the Bible. I created your personality. I'm going to use that. I gave you gifts. I'm going to use that. But your role, your job, your function, give them the Word. Chapter 2 is lead them in worship. Whatever else you do, 
Lead them in worship. Teach them to pray and to worship. Paul tells Timothy, have all the men know how to raise their hands and praise to the Lord. I want all men everywhere to lift holy hands to the Lord. So be worship leaders. Chapter 3. Appoint leaders, elders, deacons. Those who will teach and those who will serve. But equip leaders. That's part of the role of local church leadership. Give them the word, lead them in worship, and appoint leaders. And if you do those three things, you will be successful. The second half of the book of 1 Timothy, chapters 4, 5, and 6, really just mop up the leftovers. It's not that they're insignificant. But the first three chapters, give them the word, lead them in worship, and do a good job training your leaders. Chapter 4 is on how to handle confrontation. Every leader has to be a confronter to some extent. It's nice when people follow, but they're not always going to follow. There are going to be some confrontations. And knowing how to do them well, is a lot of that is in chapter 4. Chapter 5, it's all about relationships. Relationships with the younger ones, with the older ones, with the men, with the women. Each of you do well at this. But relationships, without relationships, you're not just um, ivory tower leaders. Pastors are in the trenches. The effectiveness of your ministry will be determined by the effectiveness of your relationships. And the final are your motives. Chapter 6. The big motive that could veer you off track is money. Or the lack of. Money issues are serious. Don't let money be the problem. Live within your means. Be grateful for what you have and find a higher level of motivation. Pursue, ultimately, love. And your love is your biggest currency. Love is worth more than millions. And God has given you plenty of that. And that is your motivation. Now, woven through the book of 1 Timothy are three major doctrinal challenges that Paul addresses. To talk all on the relational without dealing with the doctrinal issues would not be true to the book of 1 Timothy. There are three issues. There's the heresy of Gnosticism, the heresy of legalism, and the heresy of asceticism. Gnosticism is striving for secret knowledge, things hidden to others, that when you discover this secret knowledge, it will make you a superior person. Questing for secret knowledge is Gnosticism. Legalism. Legalism is 
striving for righteousness or right standing with God gained by your obedience. It's legalism. It's a heresy. Now, God does want you to obey Him. He does want you to observe the law in, in, in the sense of being filled with the Spirit and obedient to the things of God that please God. But He doesn't want you thinking if you obey the law, you are somehow right with God. And if you disobey the, God, uh, the law, God will disapprove of you. You do not earn righteousness by your obedience. Paul is confronting the whole notion that we somehow add to the righteousness of Christ. That is a heresy. And he deals with that. The third is asceticism. Asceticism is striving for fulfillment by denying certain legitimate physical pleasures. Um, There are certain legitimate physical pleasures. How many of you enjoy a good night's sleep? Okay, that's a legitimate pleasure. Now, you can abuse sleep and sleep all the time and and so forth, but there's a legitimate enjoyment of waking up from a good night's sleep. How many of you enjoy a good steak? A fat, juicy one. There's a legitimate pleasure in that. Now, there's an illegitimate pleasure of overeating, Well, there's a legitimate pleasure in eating. Now, for those who are diet conscious, God bless you. You're probably healthier than some of the rest of us. I believe in curbing our appetites. In fact, Sherry and I are on the the beginning, the front end of a good, healthy diet. But I've often said there's nothing worse than a self-righteous dieter. You know... Have you seen how much weight I've lost? Well, praise God. It's good. Again, we'd all do better by losing some. But to think that you're superior or you're somehow a a better person, that your personhood is tied to your weight and you look down on others because of that, that's more of a liability than it is an asset. So asceticism is something that Paul deals with in this letter. And then there are certain things he champions in the letter. He champions, and it's all relational. In terms of our relationship with God, he champions worship. In terms of leadership, he champions how to appoint leaders and to relate to others. And in regards to service, it's all included here. In fact, you can walk your way through the book of 1 Timothy. Every chapter has golden nuggets worth memorizing. And for you guys in particular, I just want to take one from each chapter. As you step into your future, chapter 1 begins verse 5 plops down right in the middle of the heart of the Christian ministry, and it says the goal of this command is love, which comes from a pure heart and a good conscience and sincere faith. Love. Not a syrupy love, but the essence of Christian ministry is embodied in love. 
Sacrificial love, tangible love. Not theoretical, but that springs first from a pure heart. It's got to come from in here. And a pure heart is protected by a good conscience. To be morally upright and pure. And a sincere faith. All those words, pure heart, clear conscience, sincere faith, are all words of integrity. Out of our innermost being is where that love flows. And that, it doesn't only flow from in here, but it's the goal of all of ministry. It's what makes the church function. It's the love of Christ flowing through us. And it's the goal of everything else that we do. If we do anything, we need to love. And everything that we do is to be done to love. Chapter 2. It's where Paul begins to stir up the gift of evangelism. That it's not just a love for the saints, but it's a love for all people, those who are yet to be part of the fellowship of God. Chapter 2, verse 5. There is one God and one mediator or bridge between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus. And as Paul said to Timothy in the next letter, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your calling. Preach the gospel. Point to Jesus, who is the bridge between the one true God and all the rest of us. He's the mediator between God and man. This is expounded on in chapter 3. And in chapter 3, we come to one of the great 316s of the Bible. 1 Timothy 3.16 Jesus appeared in the body. He was vindicated by the Spirit. He was seen by angels, preached among the nations, believed on in the world, and was taken up into glory. Chapter 4. Verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, and in purity. I want to just affirm something here, and it's the health of our congregation. The health of our congregation is in many ways revealed by the leaders that are Rising up within it. It's true. And when Paul says here, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Each of you have set that example among us. And this is almost a dubious expression. The words that Paul put together here are almost impossible to fulfill. How can you determine the way another person is going to respond to you? Let alone think toward you. You're not responsible for the way everybody responds. But you are responsible to not give them a good excuse for looking down on you. (laughs) But to be a role model. In a sense, to be a pace car. To set the tempo to get us all up to the proper speed. To set that kind of an example. And it starts very tangible and it ends rather intangible. In speech and conduct. That's the way you talk and what you do. That's pretty tangible. But it ends up talking about 
in faith and in purity. By what you believe and the way you believe. Your faith is to set a tempo. And your purity, your moral purity. Saying no at your age to the lusts of your lower nature. And in the middle, there's five ways you're to set the example. The first two are the tangible, the last two are the intangible, and the one in the middle is what holds it all together. In speech, in conduct, in love, and in faith and purity. And in the, the middle, the middle one is what holds it all. It's love. Set an example in love. By your speech, your conduct, your love, your faith, your purity. Be the pace car among us to get us all up to speed to live the way we're supposed to. And in that way, you will lead the people of God. Number five is very practical. We come to the fifth chapter and the first two verses talk about the older men, the younger men, the older women, and the younger women. Do not rebuke an older man, at least don't do it harshly, but exhort him as you would a father. Treat younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, and younger women as sisters with absolute purity. Now, treat older men, it says, don't rebuke them harshly. Now, I take this rather personally. First of all, I give you permission to rebuke me. There is a time for a younger man to challenge an older man. You need to do that. Just don't do it harshly. And I'm sure you would. And younger men... Bring them up as younger brothers with all the respect that that includes. Older women, like mothers. And you've each had wonderful mothers and you know how to love them. Just do that for the older women in the congregation. And younger women. It's thought that Timothy was probably single. And so... Paul says to Timothy, treat them, the younger women, as sisters. He's giving them a little dating advice. You don't kiss your sister. At least not with, what was the expression, a sloppy, wet... Anyway. And this is in absolute purity. So don't mess around. Now, you all know that here we practice zero tolerance on pornography. Paul didn't have to deal with it the way we have to deal with it. Absolute purity. Then we come to chapter 6. Chapter 6 really is, it gets, it digs a little deeper dealing with this whole motivation issue. It's the chapter that contains the words, The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. But it also contains this great verse that I just have a feeling that we all need this morning. It says in verse 6 
But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Each of you could have earned a lot more money if you'd chosen a different career. And it's an amazing thing here, and I'm going to address it to us. But there's application for all of us. Of all things, Paul takes the bar that for most of us is probably about here. And he brings it all the way down to about here. In order to be content, most of us have lifestyle standards. That we're used to this and 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 this. And that's all to be expected. That's my lifestyle. And if I've got that, then I'm content. And if any of those things are threatened, I feel threatened. Paul really lowers the bar. If you noticed, he said, if you happen to have, if you're fortunate enough to be among the few in the world who have food and clothing, Learn to be content with that. Now, when Jesus taught His disciples, He took their expectations and put it at a very similar level. He said, do you not know that your heavenly Father clothes the lilies of the field and feeds the birds of the air? Now, what was He setting as the standard? Clothing and food. Jesus took our expectations and put them right down here. And when you have that mindset shift, everything is gravy. If you've got a phone, that's gravy. If you've got a car, if you can buy insurance, if you can buy a comb for your hair, mascara to put on, a new purse, an old purse, anything to put in your purse. But Paul said in Philippians, when he wrote to the church in Philippi, he said, I have learned the secret of being content. In any and all circumstances. And let me say, none of us come by this naturally. We all need to learn it. But God wants to bless us with contentment. That means we have to go from this house to this house. From this car to this car. Our expectation. What He promises. What's enough to bring us to that saturation point? I'm content. Do I have something to put on? And do I have something to eat? And then all the rest is gravy. I love gravy. (laughs) But I love contentment. There's nothing like it. So the goal is love. Your assignment 
Be a pace car. Relate well. And be content. And look at everything else as gravy. Amen.